Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke, and in this podcast series, I'll be sharing conversations with colleagues, exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice for your medical practice. In this episode, we're talking with an expert cardiologist about atherosclerosis and the unstable plaque. Heart disease affects one in six Australians with a heart attack recorded every 10 minutes, equating to about 55,000 per year. Underlying this event is the development of atherosclerosis. Indeed, atherosclerosis contributes directly to more than half of all deaths in Western industrialised nations. It is a slow, progressing arterial disease in which the intima is thickened by fibrous deposits associated with subendothelial accumulations of large lipid-containing cells called foam cells associated with macrophages, T-lymphocytes, tissue debris and cholesterol. The fibrous plaques or atheroma are the cause of the clinical manifestations and are the site in the vessel of local bleeding and thrombus formation. Interestingly, plaques are also often infected with chlamydia and pneumonia. The main risk factors for atheroma development include modifiable risk factors such as hyperlipidemia, hypertension, smoking, diabetes mellitus, and hyperhomocysteinemia. Other risk factors that are unmodifiable include age, male sex, and genetic predisposition. To discuss the role of atherosclerosis in relation to ischemic heart disease and how a vulnerable atherosclerotic plaque may be identified, Please welcome expert interventional cardiologist, Dr. James Sapontis. Uh, James Sapontis, thank you very much for coming back again. Uh, I, I keep asking you back because I enjoy these conversations and personally I've derived so much from talking with you um, about the, the, the varied subjects that we've covered so far. Here's another one, another one in cardiology. Um, we wanted to talk with you about atherosclerosis. Um, you know, uh, we were thinking the topic would be uh, angina to infarction. Um, in looking at all this, can I ask you to just talk with me a little bit about what atherosclerotic plaque is? Thank you, Luke. Thanks for asking me back. I really do enjoy these talks as well. Um, Going on to atherosclerosis, well, it, it's firstly what it actually means is it's a buildup of fats, cholesterol, calcium, and other substances in and around the artery wall, and that buildup of fat and plaque is what uh, fat and cholesterol is what we call plaque. Mm. Um, mm. Now, these fats and cholesterols or plaque that builds up within the arterial wall can then harden the arteries, causing a narrowing of the lumen, and subsequently a restriction of blood flow to the organs, including the heart. Um, now, atherosclerosis is commonly associated with heart disease, but it actually can affect any vessel in the body, and it's really a vascular disease, mm. um, and it can affect organs such as uh, the brain causing stroke, the lower limbs causing ulcers or requiring um, or causing um, toe necrosis, and even the vessels themselves causing aneurysms. But all that said and done, um, it's more commonly associated with ischemic heart disease and results in things like angina or heart attack. Mm. Well, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about um, you know, what, what is, well, how the atheroma forms? Can we talk about that a little sure. bit? So, look, look, first I think we need to know maybe in terms of that, what are the highest risks um, in, in patients building up plaques? Because you can't, a patient doesn't walk into your office saying, 
I've, I've got a lot of atherosclerosis, therefore I, I need your help. So it's a very hard diagnosis to sometimes make because there's no symptom of atherosclerosis. Mm. Mm. And it's really a syndrome in aspects. So you need to be able to look at your patient and say, does this patient have any evidence that there's atherosclerosis going on? And to confirm that, we look at high-risk features. Yes. And yes. that is things like elderly, being male, those with a common metabolic syndrome, such as hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, yes. obesity, yes. smokers, and those with a very um, positive family history of heart disease. And, and because of that, um, because atherosclerosis presents in different ways, it, it has different manifestations. Um, in, in essence, the, the artery has a reduction of blood flow, for example, down a coronary artery. It causes a thing called angina, okay? And what is angina? It's a chest pain or discomfort when the heart muscle is starved of blood. However, not every person has these symptoms, so it can be things like a squeezing sensation or shortness of breath. Um, and because these symptoms can be clandestine, you know, or difficult to interpret, it's an idea to have a look at the overall patient. And essentially what happens is this plaque builds up very slowly. We know, we know that it occurs throughout a person's life. In fact, um, when they looked at the autopsies of 17 to 18-year-old men that died in the Vietnam War, they saw the early beginnings of atherosclerosis mm. in their arteries. I thought you were going to say mummies. <laughs> no, just, just soldiers. <laughs> Male mummies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it builds up oh. really, really slowly. And eventually what happens mm. as we get into our probably our late 50s, our 60s, and our 70s, this plaque builds up slowly, slowly, so it reduces the blood flow going down the coronary vessels, um, causing the reduction in blood flow, and thus, usually you get symptoms like this angina that I've mentioned. Um, it's nature's way of taking us out. Well, James, I, I would agree. I would agree. It's um, nature's way. And, and a lot of my patients say to me, you know, how can I get rid of it? And it's very hard to get rid of. And we can get rid of it in some people and some patients we can't get rid of it in. Mm. Um, that's probably another topic altogether. Yeah, our, our vascular structure is so important to our long-term health, isn't it? You know, because the vessels are taking oxygen and nutrients to our brain and every organ. It's a bit like a plant with beautiful roots. That's absolutely and right. And if you don't have good vascular structure, then you're going to have problems. I would agree with you. I, I, I try to relate that we don't have many arteries, we only have one artery. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just got lots of branches. Yes. And um, obviously the, the arteries that concern me the most are obviously the coronary vessels, mm -hmm. and they have the highest and fastest amount of blood flow in the whole body. Um, and um, they're the first arteries. Except at certain times. Except at certain times, exactly. Um, so look, going back onto how this arthrosclerosis evolves, and, and we know we can imagine how you know, the plaque slowly increases in size. Um, and causes this uh, deprivation of oxygen of the heart muscle and the patient starts complaining of, um, uh, of angina. That's easy enough mm. um, to actually treat because, you know, send them on to a cardiologist, yeah. he, he identifies the narrowing and the stent yeah. is placed in there. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean that patient is now free from having a heart attack. And this is a common thing um, patients always come to me thinking is that now that I've had a stent placed, my chances of a heart attack are lower because that narrowing is the cause of a heart attack. And in fact, it actually isn't. We know that roughly 30% of patients that come in with heart attacks don't have blockages of their arteries. In fact, the plaque doesn't cause any luminal narrowing. 
And the reason is, is because the palate can actually build up underneath the endothelium of the artery, mm. which is the, 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 the layer that separates the blood from mm. the actual arterial wall. As that plaque builds up, it doesn't cause compression and instead actually causes expansion of the vessel outwards okay. rather than inwards. I don't think I appreciated that. Um, and what happens is this plaque is almost like a soup of cholesterol, mm. calcium and macrophages and inflammation mm. that continues to grow and grow almost like a pimple under your skin. Right. And subsequently, what ends up happening is when the endothelium reaches less than 100 microns, it becomes unstable, almost like a volcano. And then for some unknown reason that we can't understand quite now is that that endothelium peels off mm. and the cholesterol is exposed directly to the bloodstream. And that's the plaque rupture. That's the plaque rupture. That's the plaque rupture. Instantaneous clot forms, no right. blood flow going down the coronary vessel, myocardium deprived of oxygen and subsequently stops working. And that's your heart attack. But okay. if, I was, if I took an angiogram one second before a plaque rupture, mm. I wouldn't see a narrowing. I, I didn't appreciate that. Um, it would be interesting to do a, a, a questionnaire and see how many... Medicos actually knew that. So that, that's, that's the issue. Now, I'm giving you a black and white answer here, but mm. as with everything in medicine, there's, there's shades of grey sure. because we do know that patients that have narrowings in their vessels also have these plaque ruptures as well. Right. Um, and if you have a stent, then you're more likely to have an, a, a, an unstable plaque that mm. I can't identify. Right. So this is where there are two different entities going on, and I try to explain to my patients that we've placed the stent in, but your risk of heart attack has not changed, mm. okay? And mm. what we need to do to reduce your risk of heart attack is to reduce the atherosclerotic burden. Yes. And this is why it's important when you do send patients to cardiologists or, or vascular surgeons that they identify how much plaque this patient has, mm. how severe the plaque is, where it's located, is that by CCTA? That or? is either by CCTA or by angiography. Mm. Um, mm. And those are important points for you to be able to understand what this patient's risk mm. of heart disease is in the future. Um, and th they are important learning points because that then allows you to modify the risk factors more Introduce, aggressively. Introduce anticoagulation. Exactly. So do, do we have any evidence that we can, we can reverse plaque once it has built up? Is yeah. that... Is that Feasible or, or it's or stabilise it? Uh, yeah. Well, stabilising plaque is another debatable topic. I mean, mm. what does stabilisation really mean? How do we know that we've stabilised it? Mm. Well, one of the ways we do is, let's for example, with statins, we know that with statins, a lot of the cholesterol is deposited into calcium. So your actual calcium score goes up when you commence a statin, but that calcium is less likely to rupture. So even though you have a CTCA with a calcium score of 400 and I start a statin on you, your calcium score then possibly goes up to 650, but your chances of having a plaque rupture then possibly decrease. Mm. But there's still a lot of research going on into that. That's a work in progress. It is, but one of the more recent research um, um, areas is really looking more, uh, more thoroughly on how to stabilise these plaques. And the way we actually found these plaques out was a new area of interventional cardiology, which is a thing called um, ocular coherence tomography or OCT. 
And what ends up happening is we, we place a wire down uh, the coronary vessel. Um, we place a small laser over that wire, which um, images the coronary ves vasculature down to around 10 microns. Now, if you imagine a red blood cell is eight microns in diameter, we can actually see macrophages in the actual cells themselves. What you're seeing is on a, on a, on a with a microscopic, uh, is that on a screen? Or so it's on a screen. So we bounce a laser beam that is bounced off the, um, okay. the, the arterial wall and placed back into the actual uh, collector and then put onto a screen. Wow. And we take images of the, the whole system, of uh, the whole artery. I think gastroenterology is in the stone age, James. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stone and we can, uh, we can identify plaque, how big it is, where it's located, and we can even measure the endothelium over the plaque sitting in an artery and therefore define it as a thin-capped plaque or thin-capped fibroatheroma, better known as a TICFA, mm. or a thick-capped uh, fibroatheroma. And we know that TICFAs are the ones that are more likely to rupture. And how do we know that? Because we've seen them in the past and we've right. seen a heart attack in the past and right. it's been in the same area. So you might intervene with PCI. So there is a current trial undergoing from Columbia University where they're actually placing a stent over that that TICFA or that thin cap fibroatheroma. We know from previous stenting, and I think we've mentioned this in our last podcast, is that stents cause the arterial wall to thicken and mm. overgrow. Mm. So if you, can, if you can place a stent in there and thicken that arterial wall, you then increase the cap from 100 microns to 500 microns, and therefore it's possibly, mm. possibly less likely to rupture. And the, that trial is yet to be published. Boy, that is interesting. Do, do we have evidence that by adjusting risk factors prospectively, we can influence cardiac morbidity, mortality? Absolutely. Is that, is yeah. that known? It is yeah, known. That, look, I think that's an absolute. We, I think we've known that for a little while now, uh, you know, the Framingham study. Mm -hmm. And we, we have risk score calculators. And one of the things that I, I try to... Um, talk to my patients about, particularly those that have already had a heart attack, um, those, for example, that have had stents, um, and those that are looking at trying to reduce their cardiovascular risk, is, is place them into a risk score calculator. Right, okay. As they are, and, yeah. and you know, say their cholesterol is five, and then, then, then say to them, okay, now your risk is five to 10%. Mm. Let's just say mm. your cholesterol, now we can get that down to 3.5. Okay. Now your risk, yeah. is 4%, mm. and that is, you know, a 10% or, sorry, 1% reduction. Mm. Um, so you can, you can actively see with the use of risk score calculators how the risk of myocardial infarction or ischemic mm. events will, will reduce in the future by uh, um, treating those risk factors themselves. Right, okay, working on each of those risk factors, That's hypertension, right. glycemic control, and so forth. Um, yes, I, I wasn't sure whether it was really more the anticoagulation that followed the demonstration of disease that really was, was dealing with the heavy lifting, yeah. preventing events rather than... So the, the, other. The, the that's a good point, um, particularly in, in the non-STEMIs. We now have evidence that the dual antiplatelet therapy does help mm -hmm. um, to reduce further cardiovascular events. Um, we also know that it's important in the first six months of um, stent insertion that we do need dual antiplatelet therapy to prevent stent thrombosis, which is uh, you know, associated with very high mortality um, and morbidity. So it's a combination in both. 
but we more recently we have higher, more potent anti antiplatelet therapy such as ticagrelor, mm. which has improved the outcomes in those patients only slightly, but um, overall improved the outcomes in those patients on those higher powered medications. Mm. It's it's really another subject, isn't it? Talking about uh, anticoagulation and antiplatelet therapy, because that's again it's another area that's exploded and it's complicated and it, it has. there's a lot to that. Uh, with respect to the pathology, angina versus myocardial infarction is that something we should know about is is i think is, so i think um you know a, a, there's a lot of mismatch between oh i've got chest pain yeah. on and off um, um which comes and goes therefore i'm having heart attacks that's not the case mm. okay a heart attack is a pain that starts and does not stop yes okay angina is a pain that starts and stops the plaque in angina usually is more stable Mm. Uh, and occurs and grows very, very slowly. Mm. The, the plaque rupture that causes the heart attack is instantaneous mm. and is unrelenting. Um, and this is both the same disease yes. in the same essence, but it presents in two different ways. So we were saying that you, you don't necessarily get luminal narrowing, uh, you get a plaque rupture and then the event occurs, but with, with angina, are we we're seeing a luminal narrowing there? Am I misunderstanding Correct, that? yes. So with there, angina, is luminal there is a luminal narrowing and there is overlap between the two. So mm. eventually that luminal narrowing will reduce to such a point that that could cause a clot to form in that area, which mm. will cause um, a heart attack. Yes. Uh, other possibilities is that you do have a, a, a luminal narrowing of 50%, which yes. is caused by an unstable plaque as well, which then ruptures. Right, okay. Um, and, you, and, and this is what the hard process of it all is, is that you have everything in this arterial tree. Mm. You know, mm. you find if you find a small narrowing of a small branch, you can automatically assume that you have nine unstable plaques somewhere else and 14 stable plaques somewhere else that are about to grow. Yes. Um, uh, you just can't see them. Um, but that's what, you know, the, the, the specialist physician should be thinking about and, and think to yourself, how am I going to treat that? Now, we don't put stents everywhere, so we then think, let me treat the narrowing with a stent. That will relieve the symptoms. Now let's concentrate on reducing and treating atherosclerosis, which is, you know, a, a physiological problem more so than a mechanical problem, which is what we try to treat with angina. James, thank you very much. I have one last question for you. Uh, you're, you, are, um, you are surrounded by coronary artery disease, by some people dying, I guess, unfortunately, but many that, uh, that do extremely well in your hands. Are you, do you reflect on your own health? Do you think to yourself, well, what can I do personally it's, to improve uh, my vascular tree? Look, I, I agree. Um, I had a patient that I originally saw that was very close in terms of my age. Mm. Um, and he came in with very unusual symptoms, getting chest pain while drinking coffee. Um, but scope. <laughs> I thought it was, I was going to send him to you, Luke, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but it was, just wasn't sitting right with me. We did a stress test, and he actually passed the stress test and then mm. came in to see me at um, one of my other hospitals, and um, he, uh, I performed an angiogram on him. He had a very tight stenosis mm. of... The left anterior descending and actually died on the table while we were trying to place the stent in okay. uh, required resuscitation and um and uh, place the stent and everything turned out great um but it really makes you think that you know as a young medical student you're always younger than the patients but now i'm starting to approach their age um 
and I try to do everything, you know, I'm starting to measure my cholesterol now and thinking about statins and mm. um, actively, you know, exercising and trying yes. to reduce my weight. And I know that unfortunately none of us will ever escape um, mm. disease entirely um, in our lives. Um, and I want to try to reassure myself that I can do everything possible, yes. um, not to exclude myself from disease, but once I get it, it won't be too bad. I think it's what, make it's what makes life such a challenge. <laughs> Very much so, It makes yes. it interesting and exciting. Absolutely. You don't quite know what's around the corner. Exactly right. Um, James, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us again today. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you very much for joining me in that conversation. There's so many aspects of cardiology that I still feel I need to discuss. And I very much enjoy James's overview of this very, very important pathological condition. And during the podcast series, we will be covering a wide range of topics across many specialty interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed and maybe email to manager at gihealth.com.au.